We're taking a break from politics and current events for the month of December, and now we'll be playing clips from our Church History Podcast. For the month of December, we're looking into the history of our carols. What you're going to find out is that while the world has changed drastically over the centuries, people have not changed. This is proven very true in today's podcast. As you listen, you may even think we're talking about current events. Hopefully, you find the Church History Podcast interesting. If you do, click on the link provided and subscribe. So far, we've covered the time from between the Old and New Testament all the way to the end of the Crusades. It's a perfect for binge listening over the holidays. For now, here's a history of one of my favorite carols. Christmas Day should be a happy day. There was a time Henry had spent Christmas sitting with his wife by the fire while his son Charlie had played with a new set of jacks. That had been a happy time. That was how Christmas was supposed to be. But today may be December 25th on the calendar, but there's nothing Christmas about this day. It's cold, and we are in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Henry isn't sitting next to his wife. He's sitting next to the bed of his son. He doesn't know if Charlie will survive. Henry puts his face into his horribly scarred hands and breathes heavily. He doesn't cry. There's no tears left. Over the last two years, he's cried until there just were no more tears. He's let anger rage, but now even anger is gone. The world is surely going to end. There's no way for life to continue. Henry is exhausted. He can't sleep at night. He can't close his eyes. Every time he does, he sees her. He sees his wife, Frances. Two years ago, Frances had just been sitting, getting ready to send out Christmas mail. It had been just a year since the election. The election. That election that turned the whole world on its head. How the Republican Party won, he really didn't understand. The Democrats fighting and nominating two different candidates, that didn't help. Plus, people were just done with the Whig party. But no one expected this tall, skinny man who was so unpresidential to actually win the presidency, and he clearly was not prepared. Almost immediately, half the country was leaving the Union and war was on the horizon. The Republican Party was created to end slavery, and the South wasn't going to have it. But even in all the chaos, Frances made life enjoyable. She refused to let the bitterness and anger come over her, and she continued to live life the way she always had. So here she was, sitting by the fire, sealing envelopes with hot wax. Sitting too close to the fire, her dress somehow caught fire. Henry heard the screams and ran into the room. The sight of his beloved wife engulfed in flames still haunts him. He had used his own hands to get the fire out, and the others in the home had gotten them both to the hospital. Frances had an agonizing 24 hours before she died of her burns. They buried her, and Henry was still recovering from his burns and was not even able to bury his own wife. Henry went into a depression. Then, almost exactly a year ago, on January the 1st, 1863, Abraham Lincoln had issued the final 
Emancipation Proclamation. It said, All slaves within the rebellious states are, and henceforth shall be, free. A day that was celebrated here in Cambridge and across the North, and in the homes of slaves across the South. But a day that only seemed to make the bitterness and the battles grow more fierce. Then, Charlie made the choice to fight. Charlie knew how Henry felt about the war. Killing fellow citizens, that wasn't the answer. Slavery needed to end, but not this way. Most of the soldiers in the South were young boys who didn't even own slaves and were being forced to fight. Charlie had left for war without even telling Henry he joined the war. He left a note. It read like this. Papa, you know how long a time I have wanted to enter the war. I have tried hard to resist the temptation of going without your leave, but I cannot any longer. I feel it to be my duty to do what I can for my country, and I would willingly lay down my life for it, if it would be of any good. God bless you. Yours affectionately, Charlie. Over the last year, Henry had read every paper, heard every story from the war. Then just a month ago, the Battle of Gettysburg. On the Union side, 3,155 dead, 14,529 wounded, and 5,365 missing. On the Confederate side, 3,903 dead, 18,735 injured, and 5,425 missing. In total, over 51,000 soldiers dead, wounded, or missing. President Lincoln had visited the battle of the site and had given a speech. The first man who spoke gave a long, elaborate speech, and then this tall, skinny president had stood to speak. People had expected a great presidential speech, but instead, he spoke for only three minutes. Three minutes! It went like this. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We've met on a great battlefield of that war, and we have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who gave their lives that this nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hollow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here, they have consecrated it, far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note, nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who have fought have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be more dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve 
that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. There was definitely a lot of people in power who thought Lincoln needed to no longer be president. And yet the common people here in the North loved him. For Henry, as a writer, he could see the beauty in the simplicity of the president's language. And as a father, worrying about his son, he was one of the men President Lincoln was talking to. And then the news came to Henry. His son had been shot. He survived but was badly injured. Now, Christmas Day, Charles lay here in the bed, Henry sitting next to him, wondering what God was doing. Just at that moment, when Henry was sitting next to the bed with his face in his hands, the bells from the church began to ring. They were singing Christmas carols. Why? Why would anyone even try to celebrate Christmas? There just was nothing to celebrate. The angels had said God was bringing peace on earth, that Jesus was peace for the earth. But there was no peace. There was nowhere on this God-forsaken planet peace. What we have was hate, so much hate. Henry rose from his chair and walked to the window. Snow was falling, the bells were ringing, and even in the chaos of the world around him, he saw it. Peace. There was a stirring in his heart, and he felt God speak to him. I am. I am not dead. I am not asleep. I am peace on earth. I am. Henry walked over to a nearby desk and began to write. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat, Peace on earth, goodwill to men. And I thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men, till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice a chime, a chant sublime, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound of carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to me. And it was as if an earthquake rent the heartstones of a continent, and made forlorn the house molds born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head. There is not peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then peal the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Henry signed the bottom of the poem, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Charlie did survive, although he was unable to return to the battlefield. And on April the 9th, 1885, a year and a half after Henry wrote this poem, the Civil War ended. 
And ten years later, in 1872, the poem Henry wrote was set to music, but the two middle stanzas were left out. Today the song is still sung, and what a reminder this year for us. In the states, the Republican and Democrats are still fighting. A president loved by common people and hated by the elite. Race tensions. And here in Canada, provinces wanting to leave the Union. We have articles in newspapers about how to have family gatherings without killing each other because we all have such deep political beliefs. War is still all around us. Iran and Hong Kong are protesting and thousands have been arrested, hundreds killed. The church in Africa is being attacked and hundreds killed every week. And many across the world are grieving the loss of loved ones. Perhaps like Henry, you feel like there's no peace on earth and no reason to even celebrate the holiday. But we must remember, God is not dead. God is not asleep. Peace will prevail. The only way to end this story is to listen to a choir sing I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. The Slavic Choir has graciously allowed me to play their choir piece, so please check out their YouTube channel. You're going to find it in the show notes. And here, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. <laughs>